This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Hello, and welcome to Dear Hank and John. And there's I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death, where two brothers, we will answer your questions, give you to beast advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hey, John, my brother, how are you doing? Hank, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day here in Indianapolis. Spring has sprung. Uh, what did E.E. Cummings say? Spring is like a perhaps hand. It, uh, there's buds on the trees, hope, newness. I... I'm a little stressed out, to be completely honest with you, but uh, there's no use in talking about that. The only thing that we should talk about is is spring and how there are flowers and hope. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to look at the, the parts of the plants that are new and not gray, and they're coming out and not think about all the tr- troubles of the world. Uh, there are so many troubles of the world, John. I, I'm not even sure what I'm going to make my video about this week because I feel overwhelmed by the troubles of the world. But maybe I should just make my video about spring and about little pieces of plants that are are not the color of death. Um, I I do want to say like uh, so so I'm going to Amsterdam for VidCon. Great city. And I've never been to Amsterdam, and I know that you've spent a lot of time in, in Amsterdam, and that you like it a lot. Um, did you know that in April the entire city of Amsterdam becomes entirely booked, and that you should probably probably I don't know life pro tip for from an adult to other adults. I don't know, book your hotel more than two weeks in advance because last night I was sitting in a panic as I realized that that literally it says on Expedia, it's like 98% of hotel rooms in Amsterdam are booked. And I was like, that's not real, right? And then one after the other after the other, these hotels literally have no rooms. So I got a hotel room in Amsterdam, John. It might not be the best one, but uh, it was certainly expensive. 
Yeah, no, it, it is kind of the time of year to go to Amsterdam. There's the uh, the spring snow, as they call it, uh, the falling out of the trees, the Epen. Uh, beautiful, like flowers, basically coating the city, mm. uh, and also the weather's nice. It's just lovely, and we should say that uh, there will be tickets available uh, to VidCon Amsterdam at the door. If you're in Amsterdam or thereabouts and want to come to VidCon Europe, uh, please do. And uh, other than that, Hank, uh, the only other thing I wanted to say on that topic was that since you have never been to Amsterdam before, I really hope you go back and listen to the episode of the podcast where I gave advice to that tourist who was going to Amsterdam <laughs> about what they should see, because there's no way I'm going through it with you again just because you're my brother. <laughs> I appreciate that. I've gotten a fair good, good amount of advice, I think, but uh, there's certainly a lot to see. When I go to visit a new city, I almost always like the thing that I want to do is just walk around. Um, and I, oh, it's a great city for walking. Yeah, I almost enjoy that more than like going to, uh, you know, the gardens or the museums. I just like to see people living the lives in in their in the way that is, you know, maybe like familiar but different um, than than the way that I I live my life in my town, and the things that are familiar and the things that are different, uh, allowing me to sort of see humanity more. So to make just it, it's not like I see a humanity differently. It's just like it becomes more clear. Uh, that that we are us, and uh, and I get to watch it happen. Do you have a short poem for us today, John? Hank, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you half of a poem about spring by E.E. E. Cummings. That's going to make it short. I'm that just going like to read the second that's half. That's a good plan. That's my strategy. I'm sure that he won't mind. Well, he won't mind because he died in 1962. Spring is like a perhaps hand in a window, carefully to and fro, moving new and old things while people stare carefully moving a perhaps fraction of flower here, placing an inch of air there, and without breaking anything. Mm, I like it. Nice little E. Cummings stanza about spring. Yeah, stanza. Oh, I'm so excited for spring, Hank. Let's answer some questions from our beloved listeners. Can I start? Oh, sure. All right. This question comes from Cormac who asks, Dear John and Hank, I've long been unhappy with my signature, with it just being my name clumsily, inconsistently written in the cursive writing I stopped using at the age of 12. Adults seem to have lovely, consistent, yet illegible signatures. I've now become paranoid <laughs> as I approach adulthood that I've missed some important event whereupon I was supposed to gain a lovely signature of my own. I figured you two have had your fair share of signatures and have lovely flowing ones. Uh, I feel like Hank has a lovely flowing one. I'm not sure that I have a lovely flowing one as such. Anyway, so I'm seeking urgent help for my growing mini crisis. Memento vobis acidere. Cormac, not Ryan. <laughs> Possibly Cormac. John, have you ever uh, in your life consciously changed your signature? Like, did you have that? that... Oh, yes. Okay. Like, you thought about it and you were like, I'm, I'm going to have a So different... I had this signature. I was, I, I did develop a signature when I was in high school. And the idea was the signature would be all acute angles, no curves, uh, oh. just very acute angles. And I, I drew the O as a kind of a diamond and everything was extremely acute in its angling. And that was my signature, even after Looking for Alaska was published. If you find the first, like, few hundred books uh, I signed, it looks like that. It's a very small, really? very legible, weirdly acute angled series of letters. And then slowly over time, I developed a new signature called the J Scribble. That is just a J followed by a scribble. I want to see this old signature. Oh, man. Uh, 
it's uh, yeah i don't know maybe i'll try to i'll i'll try to dig one up for you um i know eileen cooper has one my mentor cuz th- she has the first book i ever signed but i don't know i don't know how you would find them exactly um i i did just find a, an amazing picture of someone who took your signature and drew and this has happened a number of times where people will take your the signature that you signed in a book and then turn it into something and this person has turned it into some kind of uh water bird which is lovely um, but, but yes, John, you do have uh, you do have the J scribble, and and it's a uh, it's almost it's almost more famous than you are at this point. Uh, but I, what I what I, what I want to say to uh, to Cormac is uh, this this tends to be something that happens accidentally, unless you're really sort of obsessed with yourself, uh, which is what happened to me, and I like sat there at my job. Uh, where I was, I worked in a laboratory after college, and I hated my signature because it was small, and it was, as you say, it was basically how I wrote in cursive when I turned twelve, and that was as far as I knew about cursive. And this is a, this is a, like I think this is a problem for a lot of people right now because we don't write in cursive anymore because we don't have to because cursive speeds up writing, but not nearly as much as typing. So we don't really know how to write in cursive. And so we don't really adapt our cursive handwritings beyond like what we're taught in elementary school, even if that's taught at all anymore, which I don't know. So you have to, you kind of have to develop a a signature now. You have to do it on your own. You have to have an idea and be like, I'm going to do this thing. Now, you also have to go to the bank and like resubmit a signature card and be like, I have a new signature now, which is weird. uh, If you have, if you like use checks and stuff and have to have your checks work. because I did do this, and they were like, that's not your signature. And I was like, it is now. Anyway. Oh, my God. This is this is an extremely embarrassing story, Hank. This is way more embarrassing than my acute angle signature. Oh, no. I completely agree. I completely agree that it's embarrassing. But I did develop a new signature, and I did it just, like, one letter at a time. And, like, I, I did a bunch of different ones, and then I did it a bunch of times. And I changed my signature. Uh, and I I... I'm glad I did it, but I am embarrassed that I did it. Oh, yeah. No, I am extremely embarrassed on your behalf. <laughs> Both of those things can be true, though, right? Yeah. I mean, I here's the thing, Cormac. It doesn't really matter that much. I don't think you should be too hard on yourself uh, because in the end, if your signature is legible, I actually think that's cooler than if your signature is illegible. So I would stick with your current legible signature and just kind of own it. Mm-hmm. Own that 12-year-old cursive as yours, and you'll find that it becomes yours. My uh, my signature has gone through one other layer of simplification, Hank, now that I'm actually Googling it and looking at old <laughs> signatures, which is that I used to have a very distinctive H. I used to have essentially a, a J, no O, a distinctive H, and then a scribble. And I have eliminated that H because it was it was a wasted it was a wasted keystroke. <laughs> You need to sign a lot of books. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's the other thing that I will say about signatures is that these, like, you don't end up with a signature uh, because you came up with it one day, usually. And, like, I, my signature has certainly changed since I quote unquote developed it while I was skeeving off from work. Um, that, like, you just, if you do it a bunch of times, it starts to take on a different shape and it starts to look a little more flowy and your hand decides what to do. And, uh, yeah. 
So just sit there with a piece of paper, do it a bunch of times, and maybe move your hand a little bit more than you normally would. And eventually you'll be like, that looks like a signature. <laughs> okay. I think, I, I think we've probably plumbed the depths. <laughs> I think it's a legitimate problem that we needed to address, and I'm glad that we did. This question is from Caleb, uh, and I've been wanting to hit this one because we've gotten this question in multiple different forms over the years, and I'm glad over the years, over the years of us doing this podcast. Caleb asks, Dear Hank and John, on our recent episode of the pod, you mentioned how we Americans waste a tremendous amount of water flushing toilets unnecessarily. I mean, that's not the biggest way that we waste water, to be clear. The biggest way that we waste water is lawns. Why is that bad? I always hear that conserving water is good for the environment, but isn't all that water just going down the drain, useful or not, being reintroduced to the environment eventually and resuming its course in the hydrological cycle? Is the energy required slash carbon footprint of moving the water into the house, is that what's the problem? Would peeing in the trees behind my house be a better alternative to flushing every time I use the toilet, narwhals, and spatulas, Caleb? Oh, gosh. Yes. Well, let me just start, because this is Hank's area of expertise, not mine, but let me just start with your uh, last question first which is that, yes, you should always pee in the trees behind your house rather than peeing in a toilet. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's settled then. Caleb, John has your answer for you. Get out, get out in your backyard, don't mind the neighbors, and uh, water some trees. Um, no, but Caleb, just so you understand, like I, I didn't understand this until I was like 33 years old and Hank explained it to me. The water in the toilet is the same as the water that you drink. Like it, it has been treated uh, in the exact same process. I did not know that, Hank. I thought that like there were two kinds of water. I had no idea that the mm. water that we put on our lawns to water our lawns is like the exact same as the water that comes out of my tap because that seems ludicrously inefficient. Yeah, well, it turns out that it's actually efficient because running two sets of pipes to a house would be much would be twice as hard as running one set of pipes to a house. So that's the, in the vast majority of places, that's the way that it gets done. There are some places that use a, use different water for watering, but usually those are like large consumers, like college campuses or something like that. Um, so the, uh, yeah, the sitch is that one, that there are two really good reasons to conserve water. One is that it's not infinite and that we use more water than is, in, in a lot of places, we use more water than is currently being resupplied to the area. And we do that by bringing water out of underground lakes uh, called aquifers. And those aquifers uh, run out of water eventually. Like they are not, like they are not re- refilling as fast as we are dra- uh, pumping water out of them. So that's a scary thing. Um, the vast majority of the reason why is not residential consumption, though it, that is a piece of the pie. The big consumer is agriculture, for the most part, um, so making making food for us to eat, but um, but but residential consumption, especially in city areas, is a really big part of aquifer depletion. The other thing is that uh, yes, it is it is energy. It is fossil fuels that are used to pump water around the world. Uh, they have to get it so that it comes out of your out of your tap, and that's usually done by pumping water up into something that has some elevation, and then letting gravity do that work. That's what water towers are. So you have to pump the water up into the water tower and then it falls out of the water tower and that pressure is what pushes it out of your tap. And then once it goes out of your tap and it gets flushed down into the pipes, you have to pump it back up 
so that it can then flow down to the sewage treatment plant unless you have a septic system. So there's a huge amount of water that goes, or a huge amount of energy that goes into moving water around, treating that water so that it is potable, and then treating it once that it is, uh, once it's dirty again, so that it can be put into the rivers without it being too too dirty to go into the into back into the water supply. So lots lots of energy goes into that process, um, and. In, in fact, in a recent Vlogbrothers video, you'll see a coal-fired power plant that uh, it, just in sort of the background uh, when I was talking about Glen Canyon. And that coal-fired power plant was built almost entirely to pump water to, uh, f from, you know, from sort of Glen Canyon area to places where uh, that, that water needs to be as part of the Central Arizona project. And, um, and a lot of places in California, the water has to get pumped over mountains to you know, for Los Angeles to have enough water for its residents, and that is very uh, hugely energy-intensive process. Because if you ever lifted a five-gallon bucket of water, you know how much it weighs, and that is what has to get happened with every five gallons of water that gets consumed in California. So that's the situation. And yes, you should be careful about how much water you consume. Specifically, you should pee in the woods. Um, or just you know, it doesn't have to be in the woods. Uh, just wherever. Or alternately, just hold it. I don't know if there's any signs behind this, Hank, but I find sometimes that if I hold it for long enough, I stop having to go. Wow. Uh, that definitely works with poo, but it's never worked for me with pee. All right. Well, I I'm just telling you, I think that there's something there. Uh, this next question comes from Devin Hank, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I love my solution to the water crisis is just hold it. Anyway, um, <laughs> Dear John and Hank, I have a pet snake. I've had him for about six months now, and everything's going fine. However, my dad does not know that I have a pet snake. Oh, God. <laughs> I still live at home right now until I go to college this fall, but I'm not sure how my dad will react to the snake. I'm 18, but he did tell me not to get a pet snake while I was still in the house. <laughs> He'll probably learn about the I secret mean, snake when I'm packing up to go to college, if not sooner. My question is, how would you react if your child got a pet you told them not to get and then hid it from you for several months? DFTBA, oh, Devin. Mm. Devin, how big is your house that you're yeah. able to have a secret snake? Oh, man. Um, okay, also, also, why are you going to tell your dad about the snake? Yeah. Like, you've lied for so long. Just l keep lying. You know what this question reminded me of, Hank? Um, when I was in high school, I had a friend who shall remain nameless who grew pot in his bathroom. <laughs> like, uh, he had grow lights uh, in the bathtub in his bathroom. Yeah. And... Uh, and it it worked for like seven months. And then eventually, like one day, his father was like, I need to go to the bathroom and was like, why is it so bright in here? And he pulled back the shower <laughs> curtain and like there was this like, you know, medium sized oh marijuana growing operation. Um, I, I actually disagree with you, Hank. I think that Devin needs to tell his father about the snake post haste. No, no. Devin needed to tell his father about the snake before he got the snake. But there is an end in sight. And all, like, all you have to do is make it to the end. And then you will not have had to have lied. It will just, it will be, oh, if you can make it to college with the snake, then you basically, it's basically like you never did it. 
Right. No, but I think the issue is that like when they're packing up to go to college, it's going to be like Devin and dad packing the car. And then at the very end, Devin's going to be like, well, dad, um, I, mm, well, can you just, it's good to see you. Can you go out for about an hour and then I'll leave for college? <laughs> yes. No, look. This is a perfect opportunity for Devin, who is a person who is coming into their own as a, a, and like learning how to problem solve in big and difficult ways to problem solve in a big and difficult way. What are the potential ways to get that snake to school without dad seeing it? Can you like wrap it up in a carpet? Can you ship it ahead? Can you get a second car? Can you like have a friend with an illicit car? How far is college? Can you just set, like, can you just like wrap the snake around your belly with like an ace bandage? Can and just then, make like, it get into an aquarium belt? once you get there? Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. What is, like, you have, there has to be a solution. And then, no, and then I, if no. dad finds, if dad finds out about it, then it, dad is at least like, well, I see that you have gone through lengths. To uh, and I am impressed by your ability to try and keep this a secret from me. Good job with the lies, son. No, no, no. You're approaching this in completely the wrong way, Hank. The right thing to do in this situation. All right, stick with me for a second here. You let the snake out in the house, okay? <laughs> um, you let the snake out in the house at a time when you know your father is going to be around. Like, let's say you let it out in the kitchen, and and then like maybe 15, 30 minutes later, you hear a scream. And it's your dad and you come in to the kitchen and you're like, what's up, dad? And he's like, there is a snake in the house. And you're like, oh, no, that's terrible. I'll catch it. I'll get it. And then you catch the snake and then you say, you know what, dad? What if I just kept the snake? <laughs> I mean, this seems like a dangerous prospect for the snake, John. It, like, what are the chances that that Devin's dad doesn't scream and instead just like grabs a hammer? Uh, I guess that's a good point. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought of the snake murder <laughs> issue. OK, alternate alternately. I guess it depends. It depends on your dad, Devin. Alternately. What if you go to your dad? This is a strategy that I used a few times in, in my own uh, adolescence. What if you go to your dad with something really big and then say, just kidding, I got a snake, you know? Right. Uh-huh, like, what if uh-huh, you go to your dad like and you it. say, you know how we've been planning for that big trip that I'm going to make to college? This whole time, I've been lying. I didn't get into mm-hmm. college. Yeah. And I'm, I, and I'm really sorry and, and yeah. Devin's dad's going to be like, oh, no, this is a disaster. And then you can be like, just kidding. I got a snake. And I'm going to college. And the snake's coming with me. And, and you, I'm going to college. You don't even snake. have to know that it happened. Everything's fine. It's Everything worked out better than expected. <laughs> it, has to be, it has to be more than, than uh, I didn't get into college. It's like, instead of, I've decided instead of going to college, I'm going to go be, try, like, try my hand at becoming a professional Pokemon Go player. Or, uh, yeah, because... Like, Hank, I'm just going to stop you right there, if I can, and just point out that uh, playing Pokemon Go for a living is a completely legitimate career. And if that's what you want to do agree. with your life, I support you 100%. Not Actually, not if you're my child. I just want to be clear. If Henry, if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> in the future and you think this is, it means that's okay for you to play Pokemon Go, not you, other people's kids. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Well, I, th- I think that we, I think we've created a bunch of different potential options for Devin, and he's going to have to choose which brother's path to go here. Um, but I'm not backing down, and I think that this lie can be maintained through uh, through college admissions. Do you remember the person who wanted to um, learn how to play the fiddle and then spring it upon their whole family? Yeah. Uh huh. That's a good lie. I wish that they could meet up with Devin and maybe like do the background music when Devin's doing the big reveal to Devin's dad. Or maybe that person could just show up while they're packing the car and then start playing fiddle and Devin's dad's going to be like, who is this person who's playing the fiddle in my driveway? And And Devin's just like sneaking sneaking the snake snake into the car. Yeah, perfect. All All right, right, Hank. Uh, (laughs) Why don't, why don't you ask a question? <laughs> okay, I have one. This question is from Olivia, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm a senior in college, and I've always struggled with the balance between pushing myself to become better and being comfortable with who I am. I think it's important to strive for self-improvement, but there are some parts of me that I'd like to accept as just who I am. For example, I'm an introvert, but I want to push myself to meet new people and do things that make me uncomfortable because I know that leads to rewarding experiences. On the other hand, I also hope that even if the world favors extroverts, I can still succeed while being introverted and I shouldn't need to conform to certain societal standards. Thanks. Love the pod. It makes walking to class in the freezing cold weather bearable. Best wishes, Olivia. Olivia, I think being comfortable with who you are and being like, comfortable are different like diff completely different things they're not related to each other like you can be uh like comfortable with who you are and still do things that are uncomfortable and you will be uncomfortable in those those situations but not because you're uncomfortable with you know you as a person i do lots of stuff that i dislike and that makes me uncomfortable but but i i feel like i'm pretty good at actually knowing who i am and being comfortable with who I am. So if you think that something's going to lead to a rewarding experience, but you don't want to do it because you just don't want to do it, but you th- but you but you also like you recognize that there's a benefit to doing it, you have to decide whether the discomfort is worth the reward, which is sounds like it's exactly what you're doing. It sounds like you are comfortable with who you are and you are also trying to make decisions not just based on whether you're going to be happy in the moment when you make those decisions or when you do the thing, but also um, once uh, you're going to be like considering the potential effects of the decisions that you make beyond just how you're going to feel in that moment. And I would argue that that shows a lot of self-awareness, and I think you're doing a good job. Yeah, I agree. I think it's important to uh, stretch yourself, but also to take care of yourself. And that balance is like, for me, like the great challenge of adulthood. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Doing doing things that you don't wanna do, that you have to do, making choices that you don't wanna make, uh, you know, like getting the thing done uh, when you don't wanna get it done. I think that, that like, that's, the, that's one of the most valuable like things that a person can get good at. I agree. Uh, let's answer another serious question, Hank, while we're on the serious question front. All right. Okay, Hank, this question comes from Sam, who writes, Hello, John and Hank. My dad has a new girlfriend, and she is amazing and sweet and a perfect fit to our family so far. The only thing is uh, she uses offensive words. I'm actually not even going to say the words, Hank, that are in this email, because why <laughs> Why would I? They're very hurtful words, though, about uh, uh, gay people and mentally disabled people. Uh, Sam goes on to write, I know uh, words... Uh, only have power if you give them power. I think that's 
not quite true. But when she mm. says these things, I can't help but feel gross inside. As someone who is gay and has mentally disabled friends, I know the true power of those words. I just don't know if telling her to stop gives her words more power or if just leaving it alone makes them just words. Mangoes and monkeys, Sam. Mm. Mm. That's a tough one. Yeah. I, I would almost go to my dad first and say, this. it's really hard for me. It's really hard for me to hear this person who's becoming part of our family say say these things, not just because they're hurtful and, and kind of explain why they're hurtful. Uh, I know that can be really difficult to do, but I also think that the vast majority of the time when you explain to someone why the language they're using is hurtful, they stop. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, it can definitely feel like... Uh, it, uh, it, you know, the, the first impulse is always going to be defensive for, for that person who's being confronted. Um, and so right. it's really, it's important to recognize that and to try and like uh, make allowances for that and and be like, yeah, I, I know, I like, I know that it, this is kind of feels like an attack, but like, here's the sitch. Um, and I do think that John's right, like going to your dad is a good idea. And it's also nice that this is a person that you like and that like, you know, like seems like a pretty cool person except that like maybe they just aren't aware that this is like that there are people out there who are going to be like really you know like maybe this person just isn't aware that this like that it's a thing and i think that like frankly you know a lot of us didn't know that and and like we are all constantly learning and uh and and hopefully the the, the your dad's new girlfriend's going to be open to that learning but I, yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily something that you should just ignore. Um, and it, it, but hopefully you have a good enough relationship with your dad that you could be like, hey, what do you, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think it's really hard to ignore when someone is using language that kind of dehumanizes you or, or, you know, takes away some of your personhood. And, and I don't think you should be expected to ignore it. Um, but at the same time, I think Hank's right that people do, you know, they are going to feel defensive and. Um, but that's part of the, that, you know, hopefully that's part of the learning process uh, for them. And it's something that, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate that, you know, you're put in a situation where you have to uh, stand up for yourself and for your, your friends. But um, but yeah, it seems like that's that's the reality. So I wish you luck. Hank, can I ask another question? Uh, I'm, I'm very fond of this next one. All right. It's your, your podcast. It's not my podcast. You answered that question about the water cycle. It was fascinating. <laughs> this question comes from Ryan, who writes, Dear John and Hank, from where I'm currently sitting in my school's engineering building, I can hear a rather loud and emotional phone call between someone and their ex who are trying to be friends. From what I can tell, it's not going well. I need some... I, <laughs> I have some advice that I would like to shout down the hall, but I am not sure if that's considered okay. Please respond soon as shouting advice is clearly needed. Someone lying about their name, Ryan. Brian, the only reason I asked the question was because I thought your name was actually Ryan. Oh, come on. I'm very frustrated. Lying I did Ryan's. not get to the sign off before I chose to read the question. Anyway, Brian, that is a terrible idea. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> do not shout advice to strangers in, in, a, in a school engineering building when they are going through a difficult time. That is extremely presumptuous. You must always wait to be asked for advice before you offer it. Uh, you know, the, the only time I've ever shouted advice to people, to a stranger, the only time, 
mm-hmm. is while driving and they can't hear me. And it's like, you shouldn't do that or use your turn signal. Like those are the shouts that I shout at strangers. You know, it occurred to me just now that I actually shout advice at strangers every week uh, while I'm watching soccer. Right. Yes. That's in fact, I spend most of my, my time wa- watching soccer shouting advice to Liverpool football club players. Who I don't know personally. Most sports viewing is uh, is shouting advice to sports players. So I think that is the vast majority of what what watching sports is. Um, and and sometimes here on Dear Hank and John, we shout advice to strangers. Like I could I could shout right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. To, but we are yeah. asked it's people who are asking us for advice. It's not like yeah. I, I overhear a, someone having an unpleasant phone conversation that they probably want to be having in private, but you know they have a right. roommate or whatever. Uh-huh. So like the closest they can come to privacy is this their miserable study Carol in the engineering building. <laughs> and they're they're in the middle of the worst conversation they've yeah. ever had in their whole life. Like the thing you probably don't want to hear is like you'll never successfully be friends with your ex. <laughs> <laughs> Just stop trying. It's not gonna work. <laughs> okay. Okay. I Seriously, though, no, it, 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 it's probably not gonna work. I think out for you. I think we settled this one pretty well and good. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash Dear Hank. This question comes from Brian, who asks, "Dear, it's not even Ryan. Brian, Dear Hank and John, in Star Trek, it appears that most spaceships are owned by, owned by governments, uh, whereas in Star Wars, uh, the spaceship ownership seems to be more distributed, with gover- governments owning some ships, companies owning ships, and even individuals having their own private spacecraft. Do you think in our future we'll follow more of the Star Trek model and have large spaceships owned by governments or perhaps large corporations that probably like our mass transit? Or will it be more like Star Wars where individuals can buy their own private spaceships if they aren't John and actually want one? Can we, we can assume, of course, that none of this would happen until 2028 or later. Uh, life is, life is a, life is a thing to do between periods of non-existence. Brian. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, this is an interesting question, Hank. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of my relationship with boats. Like maybe in the future spacecraft, <laughs> maybe in the future spacecrafts will be like boats uh, where, you know, you want to have friends who own one, but you don't want to own one yourself. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like, it's like the worst, the worst purchase you've ever made is your boat. And you're just like, and it just sits there in space dock. Right. 
Because, you know, it's more like I want to have a boat than I actually want to use like a boat. Like you think you're going to travel the galaxy, but there's so many costs associated with the actual use of the spacecraft over and above the initial cost of the spacecraft. And that's kind of a bummer. And mm-hmm. plus, like you think you're going to be free on weekends, <laughs> but it turns out that like once your kids get to a certain age, they've got soccer practice every weekend. And like it's just it's really hard to get away from your life long enough to travel the galaxy. I can totally see that. <laughs> future <laughs> yeah yep that's certainly like if we don't change dramatically as a culture which i don't like and a species which i don't really imagine that we yeah. will it does seem like we're we're more headed for a neither case where it's just like uh rich people have space boats but for the most part, they uh, they don't use them and they just sit there and they cost money yeah like the space boat market is like rich people but the people who actually like ride in the space boats are the sailors or whatever who run the ship that the rich person owns and rarely uses (laughs) it'll be like one of those situations where you'll be talking to somebody and uh you'll say so where do you spend the summers and they'll say well you know we've got a house on mars but it's just we can never get away for longer than two weeks, and it takes two weeks just to get there. <laughs> oh man, I don't, I don't like our imagining of the future, John. It's always the the Star Trek model has always been really interesting to me because it's like, wait, do these people get paid? Like, is this their job, or is this? Because the idea of Star Trek, if you like look into the economics, is it's very like a post-capitalist future where they're like people don't. It's it's almost like they get some kind of universal basic income in the form of like energy credits, and then. But if you want to get it, if you want to like have a, a, a space boat, you got to work for the United Federation of Planets. You can't just like get a space boat. Yeah, I mean, I feel really bad for the people of the future. Although Hank, I can I can I just pause real quick to make mm-hmm. a note of something? Sure. Uh, it used to be that pessimism was my thing. Like that was my that was my brand. That was <laughs> oh, my no. thing. It was uh, uh, oblivion was coming for us, and everything was darkness, and blah 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 blah. That was mine. And now I feel like everyone has taken it away from me, and they have made it their thing. And suddenly it's very cool and hip to be extremely pessimistic and to think that the world is going to hell in a handbasket and to think that, you know, everything's turning to crap. I, I, I'm a little annoyed by having had my thing taken away from me. Uh, I, I, I was pessimistic way before it was cool. You know, like I, I liked pessimism's early albums and it's annoying to me that now like pessimism is selling out these big stadium shows and it's not, and and it almost makes me want to be optimistic. It almost makes me think that maybe pessimism was wrong all along. Well, John, I encourage you to, uh, to switch sides. Uh, But yeah, it does kind of feel like that happened. And I I don't know, it seems like since like uh, November or something, like, I don't know, it's like something, something dramatic changed. And it's like, it's like something very weird happened in November in America. And suddenly my pessimism (laughs) is on, it's like, it's everywhere. And I, I even feel like my pessimism is overexposed at this point. You know what spaceships are going to look like? They're going to be awesome. And they're going to be available to everyone. They're going to cost like five bucks and they're going to travel faster than light. And it's going to be great. Everything is going to be amazing. The future is going to rule. Today's podcast is brought to you by the awesome, awesome future ruling. <laughs> it's totally going to rule. Oh, that awesome future. This podcast is also brought to you by Secret Snakes. Snake, Secret Snakes. 
wrapped around Devin's middle with an ace bandage so his dad doesn't know that he's been lying for six months. <laughs> I mean, how do, you have a, how do you have a secret snake for six months? Yeah, it's, once, it's, it, once it's been that long, just keep it a secret. No, I totally disagree with you. I'm saying like, but how on earth do you, what, like, how do you make it for six months? Like, how do you get in the frozen rats? <laughs> At some point, does your dad like look in a bag and say like, hey, is that a frozen mouse? What's uh, what's that all about? <laughs> what? Why are there a bunch of frozen mice in the freezer? What's going on? Oh, today's podcast is also brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron, uh, just one of the very best meal delivery services available. I'm sorry, Hank. I'm trying to get an actual sponsor, okay? I'm trying to, like, model what it would look like if we had proper sponsorship on this podcast. (laughs) Uh, One of uh, Caitlin Hoffmeister, the uh, producer of SciShow, suggested that we have our fake sponsors be brought to you by a real sponsor. Oh, that's So it would be like... The Today's Podcast is brought to you by Secret Snakes, which is brought to you by Audible.com. Secret <laughs> Snakes. They're wrapped around every wrapped around Devin's middle, and they're brought to you by Audible, the world's largest resource for your audio entertainment. <laughs> I just want some real I just want some real sponsors. Uh, you have to do the last fake sponsor. Okay. The, the, our final fake, fake sponsor of the evening is uh, peeing wherever. Uh, but not in a toilet, though, because that's it's not good for the hydrological cycle or something. Yeah. Also, you don't want to pee too near like uh, like like, uh, you know, a river or a lake because you don't want to you don't no. want to worsen the uh, pollution. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Hank, I want to ask a question. This the question <laughs> comes from Dallas, but I think I might have asked too many of the recent questions. So I think I'm going to ask you to read it. So it seems like you're picking. it. OK, John, one last question before we get to the all important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. This is from Dallas, who asks, Dear Hank and John, Facebook has a feature that allows you to see what you posted on that day in the years past. And I'm always so interested in what I was doing at this time in the past. When I look at 2016 and 2015, nothing has changed in the way I post that much, only in that I post on Facebook maybe once a week rather than once a day. When I go back further than just a couple of years, we meet high school Dallas. She was a terribly embarrassing human. She thought that it was hilarious to post only the punchline to an inside joke with absolutely no context. She also saw fit to narrate her daily life with posts like, just got from ho- just got home from school, super hungry, HMU. I don't know what HMU is. And what does I- HMU stand for? I don't know. Head. Let's stop everything and figure out what HMU stands for before uh, we answer the rest. Heat my uranium, HMU. Does it does it stand for hold something like hold my unicorn? <laughs> it's hit me up, hit me up, like uh, hit send me, me up. Send me a text oh, so we can hang out. Hit me up. Yeah. Hit me up. Okay. I'm, com- I'm completely ashamed to admit that Dallas is in... I'm completely ashamed to admit that that Dallas is, in fact, me. Why did I do this in my youth? Is that something everyone did in high school or middle school? Or is it just something that people did in 2010 to 2014? Perplexed and perturbed Dallas. Hank, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like uh, that has that pattern has continued in my life. Well, yeah. Were you looking back at like the, who you were five years ago, and you're like, uh, yeah, mm, pretty cringy. There's some there's some cringe there. It's not it's not like uh, it's not like this particular thing, Dallas. You're gonna have to learn this. It's not that you like we're doing a particular thing. Just got home from school, super hungry, HMU. No, uh, that person is cringy, not because. 
uh, of that particular behavior, but because, uh, you know, go hang out with a person who is four years younger than yourself and you'll be like, eh, there's a reason why I don't do that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like my past selves were all huge embarrassments to me, but I also feel that my present self will never be embarrassing to future me because present me is so cool, calm, and collected. But I've always felt that way. (laughs) Um, But like, yeah, I look back at my high school self and I am so grateful that uh, the things that I wrote and thought in high school were not archived on Facebook to uh, reappear once a year mm-hmm. when I when I wrote them. Uh, and and in, even like when I look back at looking for Alaska or, or even Paper Towns, I feel a little, even the fault in our stars at this point. Like when I look back at my old work, I always just feel like, oh God, oh no, oh yikes. Did you really? Did you really? Oh, uh, that's interesting. Did you have to? Like when I look back at looking for Alaska, I... I and I only, you know, have glanced at the actual text of the book in the last 10 years. But like, did you have to use the verb deadpan 12 to 15 times? Did you? <laughs> did you have to? Was it that great of a verb? Yeah. Uh, there really should oh, be God. like a piece of software you can run your book through to make sure that you don't use a, a word way, way, way more than it is used on average. And if you do, then you are... You are making that decision. Oh, no, yeah. To be clear, though, my publisher, Julie Strauss-Gable, was like, y- you need to stop using the word deadpan in this book. Like, it appears like 14 times, and that's probably 13 times too many. And I was like, <laughs> you don't understand. Deadpan is the verb of right now. It is the way to describe how people of right now talk, and you don't get it because you don't have your finger on the pulse of America's <laughs> youth the way I do. And now I'm just like, oh uh, my god! Oh well, god! Well, congratulations so on just, congratulations oh. on ruining looking for Alaska for absolutely everyone with that analysis. Uh, now I can I will never be able to read the book again without searching for deadpans. Um, I, I will say that I think that we're much more critical of our past selves than we are of actual people who are that age. Uh, in my experience, when I like look at. When I look at like me from high school, I'm like, ah, whereas when I look at an actual current high school student, I'm like, you're pretty cool. So that's interesting. They're just trying to figure stuff out. That's the thing. Like, you know, when when you said uh, now that I understand what HMU means, like what what high school Dallas was trying to do was, you know, like connect to people, which is a good thing to do. And when high school Dallas is posting the punchline to an inside joke with no context, like high school Dallas is really trying to connect to the few other people who will get that joke and feel like they're on the inside of something. Because like when when you're a teenager, you really want to feel like you're part of a community that cares about you and like you have a special relationship with your friends. Yeah, I don't judge that Dallas at all, by the way. But high school me was a total, total cringe factory. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's also, it's interesting that like we we think of ourselves as this like, as like the, the me that I have right now continues back into the past in a way that it doesn't actually do. Like I am different from my, from what I was back then. And I think that's part of the cringe is like being like, oh, that's not who I imagined myself to be, but I, that is me, and I have to come to terms with that, and that's fine. And like, maybe you should spend a little time trying to trying to be a little more forgiving to past Dallas, because you're going to change in the future, and you should be okay with those changes in whatever directions they're they're taking you. 
I'm still not there, I have to say. That sounds like a lovely sentiment, but I, it, it seems impossible to actually <laughs> uh, make happen in my life. Hank, what is the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon? So at the end of every podcast, for those of you who are new, we give you the news from Mars, which is a planet, and AFC Wimbledon, which is a third-tier English soccer team. Do you want me to go first? Because I'm ready. Yeah, go ahead. Hank, just yesterday, as we're recording this, not as you're listening to it, uh-huh. AFC Wimbledon played Rockdale, or possibly Rochdale, or possibly Rochdale. Rosiana, how do you say Rochdale? Rochdale, apparently, but Britisher. Um, and uh, Hank, as you will recall, AFC Wimbledon were only a couple of points away from certain safety in League One, meaning that we get another season of League One football ahead of us. And what should happen in that game in the 44th minute? There was a red card from a Rochdale, Rochdale, I still I can't remember even from five seconds ago, <laughs> player. Uh, and uh, that red card led to uh, that player being sent off, whereupon AFC Wimbledon uh, in quick succession scored three goals, one of which Hank was a penalty and the 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 penalty taker uh who ended up being dean parrot was decided when lyle taylor and dean parrot did a game of rock paper scissors to decide which of them was going to take the penalty (laughs) nice (laughs) uh dean parrot won that game of rock paper scissors uh scored the goal afc wimbledon win 3-1 now after 40 games with uh just six games remaining in their League One season. Uh, AFC Wimbledon are on 54 points and basically, well, I will say it at this point, they are assured of safety. One more season in the third tier of English football (laughs) for Wimbledon. Huzzah! Congratulations! That's good. That's very exciting. That's very exciting. Uh, I'm sorry that you're probably not moving up, but maybe if you just win everything and, uh, but, but Hopefully, what it what it means is that uh, AFC Wimbledon will continue to have more money to spend on uh, on its players, on its fans, on its uh, on its pitch, and that's that's good for everybody. Um, you know for what sure. else? You know what else is good for everybody, John? What water? You you know how there's water on Mars, right? Like there's currently lots of frozen water on Mars, but also that we have lots of evidence that at one point there was lots of liquid water standing on the surface of Mars. Uh, there were big lakes. There was even potentially a giant ocean um, in some of the the, the lower-lying uh, northern parts of Mars. And we uh, have evidence, and we have had evidence for some time, the, of a massive tsunami. So the cool thing about Mars is that, like, uh, because there is no water now, a lot of old things stick around for much longer than they would on Earth because old stuff on Earth gets washed away by by the water because we have active plate tectonics that reshapes the surface of the Earth, and then we also have just water falling on Earth, dissolving stuff, making mountains run into the ocean, and et cetera. So... Uh, but you can see evidence of stuff hanging around on Mars from much longer ago uh, because uh, there is currently no hydrological cycle and also plate tectonics don't seem to be a thing. So um, we have this evidence of this tsunami that occurred about three billion years ago. And uh, it is a massive tsunami, talking like a hundred meter tall wave. Now, the waves can be taller on oh, Mars God. because there's less gravity but it was also a high speed thing so 
uh, tra traveling at about 60 meters per second. Uh, so a very fast, very big wave of water that uh, that we have evidence of, of sort of slamming into various parts. We could see it all sort of all over areas of Mars. So we knew that, know that there is a there was a big ocean there because there has to be has to be a big ocean for a tsunami to happen. And we also now, as of like this week, think that we have found the crater that uh, is that that uh, was caused by the meteorite responsible for creating the tsunami, which is pretty cool. So we can see like sort of the tsunami radiating wow. out from this one place in the in the uh, uh, the this large northern ocean, which is sort of like the northern area, like northern hemisphere of Mars is sort of more depressed. We're not entirely sure why, but uh, we think that there was a long-standing, long-lasting ocean that was there a, a few billion years ago, and that we can see. Um, you know, sort of like the deposits left behind by this tsunami, and also potentially, probably the like the actual crater that caused this event. It's pretty freaking cool. That is pretty amazing. So, um, uh, some kind of large object hits Mars four billion years ago, and there is a huge tsunami, and we are able to know the approximate timeline in which all of this mm -hmm. happened because science. Yeah, and and inter like even like cool similarly is a big enough meteor that it, like it blew the water out, and then there was sort of a reverse tsunami as it came back into the hole that was left. Oh wow! So there's like we can see evidence of both of these tsunamis: the one that went out, and then the one like this like sort of rebound tsunami that was smaller but still really substantial. That is cool. That is really cool. Yeah. So um, that's Mars for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that might be the coolest Mars news that we've had in this whole podcast. That was fascinating. Thank you, Hank. <laughs> um, we are now going to go record This Week in Ryan's, uh, our weekly podcast right. that you can get access to at patreon.com slash dear Hank and John. Uh, every week we uh, record a brief podcast as a supplement to this one in which we talk about Orion. Do you know what Ryan we're talking about this week, Hank? I, do, I don't. I thought that was your job. Ryan Adams. Oh, is it Ryan Adams? That's exciting. I, it's actually, Ryan I was, Adams. I, I know a couple of Ryan Adams facts already, so I'm 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 rearing to go. Well, I appreciate you preparing in advance. Um, <laughs> well, <that's it. laughs> you can get that over at Patreon.com/slash Dear Hank and John. Uh, Hank, what did we learn today? We learned that both Hank and John have embarrassing signature stories, though Hank's is more embarrassing. And of course, we learned that uh, the water that you use to water your lawn is drinking water. Uh, we learned that HMU stands for Hold My Unicorn. <laughs> and lastly, we learned that when you hear a couple having a fight over the phone, do not yell <laughs> advice across the hallway. No, you can only yell advice to strangers in two situations, while driving in traffic and while watching sports. That's right. All right, Hank, thank you for potting with me. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. You can also use the hashtag DearHankAndJohn on Twitter, where Hank is Hank Green, and I am, with some infrequency, John Green. Dear Hank and John is produced by <laughs> Rosianne Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our editor is Nicholas Jenkins. Victoria Bongiorno is our head of community and communications. And our music is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.